and welcome to Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, but also ask, maybe they could have been better? I'm your host, Tony, and with me as always is the post-apocalyptic bump made of my life, the chronal that melts my brain, and the engine that excites my caboose. <laughs> That's the gayest one you've done yet. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's Matt, the co-host of Movie Fixers. Uh, how you doing today, Tone? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. This is, uh, I thought you'd like that one. It just came out naturally. The engine that ignites your caboose. Is that, am I remembering correctly? That's what you said. I said excites, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, man, it's like we're back in high school again with like the weird gay innuendos. <laughs> um, cool. So Tone, we're back with another episode and today we are talking about a movie that I picked um, called Snowpiercer. Uh, Snowpiercer was a movie from 2013. It's directed by Bong Joon-ho, who is most recently famous for the movie Parasite that just recently won the Best Picture Academy Award. Uh, this movie has Chris Evans, Tilda Swinton, Jamie Bell, Ed Harris, Octavia Spencer, Kang Ho Song, who was also in Parasite, and John Hurt. Uh, killer cast. Totally great cast in this movie. Uh, it's based on a French property called La Transparentage. Um, I can't speak French, so I can't even read this word. <laughs> and it is currently a series on TNT. Isn't that all exciting? I didn't know that last part. That's yeah, interesting. there's a there's a current running series on TNT called Snowpiercer. Um, yeah, and I haven't watched any of it yet. I, I had intended on watching the first episode before we recorded this podcast, just so I could kind of like compare and contrast. But mm. I did not. So that's it. Uh, before we get into it, you want me to give you a synopsis? Yeah, and just really quick, want to let everybody know that you're able to find this one as of recording on Netflix. So easy access if you want to watch it. Because it's it's a ride. It's a train ride. It is it is literally a train ride uh, through post-apocalyptic Earth. And, and I think some of the visuals may help you understand what we're talking about when we get into it. For sure. All right. I'm going to give a quick uh, synopsis. This is from IMDb. This is written by Anne Campbell. Uh, this is my favorite one that I saw. Set in 2031, the entire world is frozen except for those aboard the Snowpiercer. For 17 years, the world's survivors are on a train hurtling around the globe, creating their own economy and class system. Led by Curtis, played by Chris Evans, a group of lower-class citizens living in squalor at the back of the train are determined to get to the front of the train and spread the wealth around. Each section of the train holds new surprises for the group who have to battle their way through. A revolution is underway. I think that pretty much sums up the film. Uh, Tone, what do you think of Snowpiercer? Well, Matt, I didn't like it. <laughs> all right. End of no. podcast. Thank you all for joining us this week. <laughs> no, we still figured. No, uh, but here's the thing. There are a lot of things in this I do like, and I will definitely mention them. But Matt, what did, overall, what do you think about Snowpiercer? So I picked this movie because I had already seen it back in 2013 when this movie came out. And I remember vividly thinking how much of this movie didn't make sense and how I wanted this movie to be better because I liked a lot. I liked kind of the, the, the primary story a lot. And I, it had, again, had great actors in it 
and it just had a lot going for it, like you said, but ultimately I was just so dissatisfied by the final product. So when we were talking about what our next movie would be, um, I was just thinking, oh, wow, I remember thinking before we even had this podcast, this is a movie I would have loved to fix. Yeah, and I agree. I'm actually excited about fixing it. One of the things I'm curious, though, is like you said, this was made by a, I believe it's a Korean director, and it's based on a French book. Just how much of this this kind of storytelling maybe just didn't resonate with us, but I definitely, and that's, that could be an argument. So if you like this film, that's okay. It's always okay. Uh, but I think we're going to get into the weeds here of the way this story was told and maybe try and, and work on that uh, because it did not resonate with me at all. Yeah, no, I understand. And for the most part relate, I think you and I both struggled with this movie just creating so many questions that it was distracting as a viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could, we could sit here and list all these questions. I'm looking at my notes right now and realizing that a lot of the questions I wrote at the beginning of this movie do ultimately get answered. It's just the timing of the way that those questions get answered end up, I think, distracting you from the theme of the movie Mm-hmm. And while you're re- watching it, there's a lot of there's a lot that happens in this movie, and there's a lot of what should be really impactful moments with the characters. That if you kind of knew them in their situation before the event happens, you might feel for them more. And uh, but let's let's not get too hard on it too fast. What is it that you liked about this movie? Um, well, I think we've already kind of touched on it, but I'll just reiterate that this has a great cast. Um, I already listed most of the main characters. I mean, some of these people like Octavia Spencer hadn't really blown up yet. Like I think she had done the help at this point, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of her big breakout, but, and then, you know, Jamie bell is in this movie for the first like half of it. And he's, he's really good for what it's worth. Chris Evans was obviously famous. In fact, I, if I remember correctly, this movie was kind of really pushing that Chris Evans was in it because he was Captain America and had just really kind of that blown was, up as Captain America. You recall the end of Avengers where they're in the shawarma shop and he has to hide his face because they brought them all back to do that well after they finished shooting Avengers and he had a full-on beard. I believe this is what beard he was rocking at the end of Avengers in the shawarma shop. Yep. I, I You know what? I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. So yeah. Um, Damn sexy loved- beard too. Oh, for sure. He really rocks a beard. I mean, I think a lot of guys rock a beard, but he really rocks a beard. Um, Cast is excellent in this movie. Mm -hmm. For the most part, the production design is excellent in this movie. Um, The filmmaker, uh, what's his name again? I can't remember. It is Bong Joon-ho. He's given me a lot of Terry Gilliam vibes in this movie. In fact, I think that's why the John Hurt character is named Gilliam. There's a lot in this movie that reminds me of like Brazil and other Terry Gilliam films. Yeah. It just doesn't quite complete, you know, it's just not quite there, but there's a lot of visual elements that I really liked in this movie. Um, even thematic elements that I really liked in this movie. I don't know. I, it's weird. I like this movie, but I don't like this movie. If that all the parts are there, they're just, they're not put together. Yeah. It, it needed, more it needed a fix Mm -hmm. uh what about you what did you like in this movie yeah uh 
shoot, I think you've kind of hit it all. But I will say one other thing about the actors is everybody seemed to really believe in their performance, believe in, in the work. Like this, because of it, it was very stylized, very kind of out there in this, like the design of the train and just like the style of everything that was happening. The violence was very over the top. This wasn't, it's a very real kind of believable human nature, but everything shown in like a kind of larger than life train. I was, mm. and I, I liked that. I, it, for, it was, it's good. That by itself is good. It doesn't work in this movie for reasons we'll get into, but that's still good. And it was, it helped that every actor brought their a game performance. Every actor, you know, they almost all of them get like kind of a monologue or a moment. And, at no point do I think, oh, they're just, they don't get it, or they're just being camp, or whatever. Uh, and I just, I really appreciated that. Chris Evans, who, you know, he's good. I, I have nothing against him. I thought he really brought it here and showed his chops here. That he, While he, he seemingly comes off a lot as Captain America in the beginning of this film, he does prove to be more than just that figure, that same character by the end. Mm -hmm. And he uses quite a few bad language words in this movie. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> all right so should we get more specific and really just talk about what what did not work in this film why why did something that we have so much praise for fall apart for us yeah i th i think we should um i'll just go ahead and start us off and say that the the movie posits too many questions at the very beginning there's so many things that don't make sense um Absolutely. Again, ultimately get end up answered. Like there's this like weird, like protein jello that they're eating. And you're kind of like, obviously that's something. What is that? Um, there's questions of why, why they're even on a train in the first place. Cause I mean, I think if you have no backstory, like had you not seen the trailer or anything, you, you wonder like, why are we on a train? Why aren't we on right. you know, an underground bunker? Like there's nothing that makes sense about them being on the, on a train at all. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. There's just, they, they start taking characters arms and there's this weird secret message. There's just so many questions that get introduced right away. Yeah. The class system is obvious and that part's not that, that part you expect. Okay. They're the haves and the have nots, but just, the disparity and like the actual just cruelty to those that have not, it's just so mm. extreme. And you're like, wow, why, you know? Yeah. And, and it just, so, it takes you out of it. You know, back when Die Hard came out, this is going somewhere. I swear back when <laughs> Die Hard came out, it kind of reinvented the, the, the action film at the time. And to the point where for at least a decade after that, everything was kind of pitched as it's die hard, but on a plane or it's die hard, but on a cruise ship. And this to me is very, it's hunger games, but on a train, yeah, which is fine. Like that's a great way to, that's a great trope to kind of set the stage but you even Hunger Games kind of like lets the slack out of the rope a little bit at a time so mm -hmm. that you you get questions, you get answers, you get questions, you get answers. And by the time you get to like the bigger, um, the bigger problem, like the multiple dr districts and all of that in the Hunger Games franchise, you, you feel like you've built up to that. With this, it's like they they shove all their questions at you, like right at the beginning, and then they're like, ah, we'll get to them when we get to them. So you spend so much time distracted, I think, by <laughs> this head full of questions. Well, and something else sets you up to not 
expect that because the very, very beginning of the movie is basically a voiceover explaining how uh, the Earth has come together and thinks they found a solution for global warming. And, oh, no, wait, solution didn't work. Now everything's freezing. And so you get all of this kind of backstory about why everything is frozen, why the rest, what's left of So that all that's left is this train. And, and it tells you that all that's left is this train. But that's kind of all the backstory you really get there. So, so you know the world is frozen. It was because and it's like of- weirdly not very believable. Like we're supposed to believe that literally the only survivors left on planet Earth are on this train. I've always speculated that it that there, that didn't necessarily have to be true, but for the purposes of this journey, it might as well be assumed true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But again, it just makes you ask all these questions because they so they tell you in the beginning that the reason that the world is the way it is and the reason that they're on this train is because they were trying to slow or stop global warming by releasing this chemical or something into the atmosphere. But it had, you know, the inadvertent effect of basically creating a new ice age and everyone dying. So they all ended up on this train. Now, they do eventually like what halfway into the film, we end up in like a classroom with a bunch of children where we watch a video Mm -hmm. that explains the origin of the train, the, the creator of the train, why the train is why it is, why the train is as well stocked as it is and well prepared. Like they even make a comment about, well, they thought he was crazy for making a train that was this self-sufficient. And it's like, they just, I don't know. They just kind of, sweepingly answer quite a few things, but not in a very satisfactory way. Yeah, it's in like a classroom for children. It's kind of one of the first things that looks less industrial, more nice. And they, they've got like a little song that the teacher's singing with the children about how great the train is. And I think at one point, and Matt, I want to see if you notice this. Did the kids do a dab? So it's I, I think it's hilarious that you asked me that because I was watching watching this with my roommate Byron and he asked me the exact same question. Did they just dab? Um, so they do it more than once and it looks very similar to a dab, but it's not. They're doing some other hand motion because I think this movie predates dabbing, if I'm not mistaken. But it absolutely looks like they all the, all the children and Allison Pill, who I forgot to mention in the, the all star cast, oh, yeah. Allison Pill dab in the school cart after they've walked through the so much the, mess. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. So we're, I think we're skipping around a little bit, but you know, the, so the premise is these people are revolting. They're moving their way up through the train. They're trying to take the engine and take control of the train. And as they go from train car to train car, they just keep coming across new things that raise until, questions. Yeah. And it's just more questions, more questions, more questions. And, and if it wasn't for that, like, exposition, I never finished what I was saying. If it wasn't for that exposition in the beginning of how the the Earth froze that kind of made me think, okay, I know what's going on, only to then start the film and realize, okay, I actually have no idea what's going on. And now I'm just – it, it, it resets your mind. It, you, you have a mind that thinks it's got the information it needs to move forward, and, oh, actually, you don't, and you're not going to get any of that for some time. Yeah, and when you do, I feel like it's not – like I said, not super satisfying mm-hmm. to, to just kind of blanket the, like I said, the video with all the exposition. I was like, okay, cool. That answers a lot of my questions, but I don't feel satisfied with it. Um, yeah. So another thing that bothered me in this movie is I, I feel like some, some character development got sacrificed for the sake of just, 
pushing the story along. Um, and it's already, it's a, it's kind of a long movie. It, it was like right, a little over two hours, wasn't it? If I, yeah. Am I crazy? Because I noticed at the hour mark, exactly, a character says, we're only halfway there. And I was Ooh. like, oh, I didn't that. Yeah, I paused Now, they it. introduced some kind of secondary characters early in the film that I think could have stood to have more. Um, I mean, honestly, any of them could have could have had more. Like, even Tilda Swinton's character, um, she, who plays the, mm-hmm. the, what do they call her, like the prime minister or the minister or something she, like that? She's basically sort of the go-between for the 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 tail end people they call them like what do they call them like the tail writers or something because they're at the, i don't the remember caboose. and so the whole thing really has to lead with them in the back breaking through the defenses there are locked doors and security at each car moving mm-hmm. up further and further to take over more crucial parts of the train so that they have leverage and mm-hmm. th- that's really what we're doing but you're right one of the uh, tilda swinton's one of them who she gets they they capture her early on so she we get a little bit more with her but there's there's at least two characters and I'll talk about one and you talk about the other one Matt that we never really get expanded on one of them's Chris Evans friend he's kind of got like a buddy who's sort of the the kind of eager beaver not really the planner but we'll listen to whatever Chris Evans says and there's one of these fights that there's one of these major fights between all of security and all of the revolters that has been going back and forth in this one car and as soon as it's you know and this is actually when they capture tilda swinton because evans has this chance he can get to her he can grab her and she's important but his buddy's about to get killed so he's got to choose and he chooses not to save his friend but to grab tilda and i kept and i thought that would be sad i would like feel that choice but if if chris evans character can't care enough to save him i sure as heck can't care really that much that he's dying because we just haven't seen much about him yeah, so you're talking about the character played by Jamie Bell. Yeah, um, and for for the screen time he has, he he's great. He's he's excellent. But you're right. We we don't get to know him well enough to the point that when he does get killed, that we feel terribly bad about it. I mean, obviously, like a person just died. So, and maybe if I wasn't trying to figure everything out on the train itself at the same time, I could spare a little bit more emotion. But I'm still confused. I'm like. Like, because I'm not even sure how important Tilda Swinton's character is at this point. Like, is she gonna? Because is she gonna be like the second in charge? She's really not. It turns out it's just, it's just really odd, because you don't know where what 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 what's actually at stake. And since I don't know what's at stake, I don't know where to invest. Right. I think um, so. Towards the end of the film, Chris Evans and uh, uh, what's his name Song. King King Hosong, uh, the who who we find out is this engineer that's been in the prison car of the plane, which looks like a morgue, by the way. Yeah, never mind how that works. Who's been in this prison car because he's a he's an addict. Uh, he's addicted to chron- chronode chron- chronol. That was that thing I mentioned. Chronol, which is this drug that apparently everybody on the train does, um, but uh, for somehow or another, he's the engineer that designed the security systems on this train. Mm-hmm. I, again, just question after question after question. Like how did he, was he on the train because he was an engineer and is he in jail because he developed a drug problem? Like, I, I don't know. I don't feel like the movie does a great job of making that clear, but regardless. Yeah. It's never clear, but I do think you're on the right track. I think that's what they want you to assume. Yeah. I think a lot of this movie is just letting you, make your own assumptions and fill in the gaps uh, to the point where 
I'm going to come back to that in a second. So anyways, we're working our way through this train. And as we get to the end, we're like almost to the engine, the head of the train. They stop their momentum and and have it, Chris Evans and Kang Ho-Song sit down and have this whole conversation while they smoke the last cigarette on planet Earth. And Chris Evans reveals this story that, you know, I think we I, I would like to just listen to again. Mm-hmm. But where he reveals the story of how he met the Jamie Bell character, how he met the John Hurt character. And it's, it's, it's a little kind of over the top to be honest, but it definitely makes you care more about that Jamie Bell character. It's just too little too late. Yeah. We had, we known about that earlier on. We're right before the third act. When we get that speech, you've actually skipped a lot of just action and discover like other discovery from that classroom that we talked about having Tilda Swinton and there, there's there's like a whole chunk of movie that unveils just you know a little bit more about what the train looks like nothing only making us ask more questions because over and over again you're like well okay i see you have a tailor set up over here but where are those children sleeping i see we walk through a sauna but where you know does that mean everybody who goes to the classroom has to walk through the sauna first because it's a train so it's it's really confusing and meanwhile, the part you're talking about, which is going to give us a lot of reason to be invested and a lot of people that have already died, we're just now getting and we're we're about to hit the third act of the film. Yeah. it Yeah. There's just a lot of things that feel kind of out of order in this movie. And the flow of time is confusing in this movie. Like at one point, they, they've they've created this elaborate plan to use these barrels to to wedge these doors open and, and kind of assault their way from the back. And it's a clever plan and it works really well. And they make a lot of progress quickly and a lot of people on both sides die and they, they, they make a lot of progress. You you can tell they've made it through several train cars at this point and they decide to stop, I guess for the night quote unquote and, and sleep and kind of regroup. But then the next day, I don't know that, it's just so unclear what time things are happening Mm -hmm. and how much time has passed and how many cars we've gotten through. I think one thing that you and I identified a little bit before we started recording was I think the movie wants you to assume that they've made more progress than we've visually like seen on screen, which is so other cars because it's like you said, we go through one train car that has like four rooms in it, like state rooms. But even those state rooms, like one of them has a bunch of dental equipment in it. Mm-hmm. What's weird about it is it feels like watching the movie, I feel like they're walking from car to car. I never see a disconnect where I could make that assumption. It seemed almost intentional because it wanted to show you each car. Well, they even say at the beginning, because the, the, so the drug addict uh, engineer character, the deal that he makes with him is that every door he gets them past, he gets another, you know, ball of chronos, another, you know, more drugs, right? Yeah, yes. So to the best of our knowledge, we're witnessing every door that they go through. Right. But it's just weird because we go from the back of the train, we get to the water purification car, mm-hmm. which they... You know, they, they make a whole big deal out about, you know, he who controls the water controls the train, which I feel like was a Dune reference, it, whether they meant to or not. It's um, also just like, accurate. I mean, people need true. water. But then they move from the, the, the water train to like the uh, like the greenhouse where all the, with all the plants. And 
there's workers that are like pruning the plants and like harvesting things, which makes, which again leads to a new question of, okay, well in past the back of the train, is there Mm. an additional class system of people that are still workers? Yeah. There's a middle class. There's gotta be a middle class, right? Because then we also get to the aquarium car, which again, brings up a lot of questions like this, this aquarium that we're walking through is not big enough for this biome that Tilda Swinton's character talks about, but then they stop and have this like cute little moment where this guy makes them sushi. And she says this thing about how, like, you know, this only happens twice a year and they, you know, they have to do it to maintain the biome, which obviously ends up becoming foreshadowing to the, what's happening on the train itself. But it just makes you wonder, like the sushi guy, he's clearly another worker, like in the working class. Mm-hmm. Do, does he live in the back of the train? Does he have his own place? Where does anyone on this train sleep? We haven't seen any sleeping quarters. And then it's like, bam, the next car is this school cart that looks like an old school room mm-hmm. where Allison Pill's character is teaching a bunch of kids, you know, the history of the train and why they're on the train. And it's all very like. Uh, you know, propaganda-ish, right? Yeah, worship the train. Let let me go go back just to the aquarium for a minute because mm-hmm. I, I I could possibly make an argument for this movie. Like you said, the it's a train car that looks like you're walking at an aquarium where you're going into a tunnel, and then up and along the walls and ceiling and floor are all the fish and stingray and things like that. That like you were right, could never actually exist in a biome that small. But that's also where the first kind of metaphor for this biome and the biome that is the train is made. And the whole distinction of, you know, they can't have sushi all the time because you need to, you know, cream off a few fish every year. And so it's sort of a special treat. And it's obviously a metaphor for the train and how, you know, people in the back get kind of like picked off through things like this revolution. And I think, is the movie just asking us not at this point, okay, look at this great aquarium that obviously is not realistic, but very beautiful. Can mm-hmm. you... Are we supposed to just suspend disbelief for what has already been a very kind of larger than life, just stylized version of what this train would be? I mean, the fact, like you said, the fact that it's a train is already a lot to believe. It gets explained why, but it's not a good explanation. And the fact that just everything we're seeing just doesn't seem to actually load up as something you could live in. It's, it, you just sort of have to suspend disbelief and see it more for the metaphor that it is. Is that what they're trying to do? Um, yeah, it's hard to say, but probably, I mean, it goes back to, I I think we've had this conversation before, maybe not on the podcast, but I think you and I have had this conversation before about how I think there's filmmakers today that like to play in genres, but not fully invest in genres. Uh, Like they like to play into sci-fi, like to play into, you know, post-apocalyptic horror. They like to play into fantasy, but they don't want to, they don't want to be bothered with like world building rules right is it chris nolan who does all the ones that i can't watch like inception uh christopher nolan does yeah he he did the dark knight films he did inception uh he did the prestige several years ago which was excellent Um, i do like that he i don't know he's kind of on the cusp for me like i think he likes sci-fi and fantasy and for the most part plays you know quote unquote by the rules but he he does have that expectation of 
his viewers to just kind of suspend disbelief and not ask too many questions. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head here. I think Snowpiercer is an example of we're playing in this post-apocalyptic kind of sci-fi um, survival genre, and we're meant to to really focus on the metaphor of what's happening and not the logistics of what's happening. Which frustrates me because then the first time I could ever see getting that would be the, the aquarium scene, which is ha- more than halfway through the movie. So that's really f- that, that frustrates me because it's like, if that's the way you want me to go, why were you so specific about all of these other things and leading up all these other interesting questions? I mean, we've we've skipped over a lot of stuff because we can't recount this whole movie, but there was like them timing how to get through the security system, them, you know, figuring out what the jelly bars are made out of. And, you know, just all these things that suddenly get explained with great detail to have ambiguity and what, you know, have, you know, just all throughout, too. It's like, ugh, I don't know. It, it doesn't work for me. It falls apart and I can't I can't get invested. Yeah, you're I, I'm with you there. I think the aquarium car is where the movie starts to kind of fall apart a little bit for me, because as we go from there, it's like we go from one theme car to another. Before this, yeah. everything has kind of made sense as far as a train goes. Mm-hmm. Like it would make sense that a train like this would have a water purification car. It would even make sense that there's like, uh, um, oh man, what do I keep th- thinking? I can't think of a good name for this. The, the, the car with all the plants in it. Like a greenhouse car. Yeah, a greenhouse a, car. Yeah, like especially because would, they're supposed to be living on there. But it's all still industrial looking. Yeah, and then we get to this this aquarium car, which is it's beautiful and gorgeous. And there's this very dedicated sushi bar, mm-hmm. which seats like six people. And there's a guy there that's got like a cute little sushi bar uniform on. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's, it, you start asking questions like, why is any of this here? Well, you know? And I think, because then we see like, you know, after the schoolroom, we see like clubs and things like that. It starts to sh- I know it's supposed to be like an example of the disparaging in the class system, because now look at just the absurd luxury these other people have when like the practical industrial side is in the back. I, I get that, but it-, it went too absurd. Yeah, no, but you make a really valid point, though, that it, it is displaying the absurdity of luxury. Mm-hmm. That that's a really great observation. I'm glad you pointed that out because so we do find out from this video that this train was a train that was designed with tracks that go around the world and it takes one full year for it to make a full loop on this train. It's meant to run basically indefinitely mm-hmm. and it's obviously meant for like the wealthy, but what ended up happening is this cataclysmic event. And not only were the, I mean, it's, it's very kind of like Titanic, right? That all these people that had paid for tickets and paid for luxury were on this train, but also a bunch of survivors ended up as, um, stowaways on the back of this train. And it forced this kind of, um, uh, uh, uh this biome of sorts. It forced this, this class system that, relied on the people in the back of the train. I mean, obviously this movie is, is, is a lot of commentary on class in the real world. And I think the movie shines its best when you really just focus on those themes. But again, I think what we're having trouble swallowing is a lot of the logistics of this world. Mm-hmm. Even the logistics of the class system and how broken it is, doesn't really make sense. Uh, just skipping ahead 
we get to Act 3, we meet the conductor of the train. He's the guy that built and designed everything. We learn in a video that is, even as a boy, he loved trains. So the reason this biome is on a train is because he loved trains. And, you know, that's what wealthy people do, I guess, is make the things they like. But I don't think he was the guy that designed the train. No, he definitely was the guy that designed the train. That He was Willoughby or Willop or whatever. It was Ed Harris's character. He was the one that designed yeah, the train. Yeah, but I mean, they suggest that he, because he does the whole hand movement thing. That he was a kid that was down in the thing the, uh, underneath. So we find out towards the end that the the reason that the front of the train has been taking children from the back of the train is because parts of this train have been going, have been breaking and they're obsolete and they don't have replacements for them. So they've been using small children to be in small places on the train to do the work of these parts. And they're choosing the small children from the back of the train. So basically the job of everybody in the back of the train that are kind of just getting the worst treatment are breeders. They're just there to produce small children that they can have work to keep the train going because the parts have slowly worn out and only children can fit into these components. But Matt, I can, I can confirm that he is actually the designer of the train. He wasn't one of those kids ones because the train's only been on the tracks for 18 years and it's at Harris and he's much older than 18 or his mid-20s. So I think what's confusing me is there's this ongoing theme in the movie where we see, from the very beginning, we see Tilda Swinton's character do this hand motion that you're like, again, more questions. She mm. does this hand motion, and she does it like um, subconsciously. Like she's not doing it on purpose, right? She's doing it um, as like a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? She's doing it as like a muscle memory almost. Yeah. She does this hand motion. And then we see another character do it later, and we see Ed Harris's character do it. And you find out that it's the motion that these kids down in the machinery of the train are doing repeatedly over and over again which I th thought suggested that as the kids got older and bigger and couldn't, that's when they became operatives on the train. No, because as the kids get old, they basically get worn out. They, they don't grow up. They get They expire early and that's why they need to come and get more kids. So then uh, what was the, f what was the purpose of the damn hand gesture? Uh, I guess like a subtle hint to that. And also maybe in a character sense, I just sort of assumed it was sort of a, an acknowledgement like there, there's sort of like a subconscious guilt for what they're doing even on like like a really base level like they or, or just that they know that that motion is a motion that keeps the train going that keeps them alive so it's sort of like almost like again because there's almost sort of like a worship of the train it's it's very fanatical so i kind of put it yeah. in that f fanatical kind of just this is a motion to kind of especially e even if you're in the upper crust you're cooped up on a train for the rest of your life it's you're gonna yeah. be you're gonna be a nut. I think this is an instance where where even both of us might have missed something. If 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 anyone listening to this has some more explanation or another take on what this hand gesture is, I would I would love some feedback from our listeners on yeah. this. But it just goes to show they leave you with so many questions that when they finally start answering stuff, it comes at you in a wave and you can't actually pick it all up. Uh, because once you meet Ed, Her Ed Harris, you learn that he's been the one kind of manipulating Chris Evans to come up to the front, to make it to the front. He's been sending him secret messages. He's been the one engineering all of this. The you know he, he admits that he didn't he didn't plan absolutely everything, but he wants him up there because you have to maintain the biome, you have to maintain the train, and he's gotten old and he needs a replacement. Uh, meanwhile, there's the secondary story of. 
the security guy with his daughter, they've been collecting all this coronal, which is, yes, and it, it gives you a high, but it's also, they constantly said it's highly flammable. So I'm like, you just see him kind of mashing it together. It looks like putty. And I'm like, oh, he's making C4. And he does. He wants to put it on the door just next to the the engine engine room that leads out. He wants to leave. He's he's seen he's been looking out windows and he's been kind of remembering every year the scenery and he's seen like the snow recede in places and believes it's sustainable now. Yeah, there's a reference. Um, there's a bridge that the train crosses every year and they they kind mm-hmm. of on the train celebrate that as the new year. And outside the window, you can see it's like four or five people frozen to death in the snow that they tried to leave the train because they thought that they could survive out there. Uh, they even make, they, they go so far as to make a point that one of them was Inuit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like Eskimo. Mm-hmm. And I was, I just thought that was like a weird thing to kind of, I think the idea is, is that they have knowledge of living in Arctic conditions or extreme cold conditions. For sure. It just felt, I don't know, a little forced, but yeah, I think, well, because the whole problem is, is that this guy wants to you know leave with his daughter and anybody else who wants to come because it's not so cold that they would just die. But there's still absolutely no plan. There's no su- supplies. There's nothing, as far as we know, living out there. So yeah, maybe you won't freeze to death in the first day or so, but or in the first like half day, like we see the it was the seven that are frozen on the hill uh, mm. that they always reference because they they made it only so far before they froze to death and you can still see them. And but instead, it's it's like you're not you're not going to be able to do anything when you get out there. It's still a frozen wasteland. You need to take the train and take the supplies with you and, you know, try and build up a colony or a bunker like we suggest somewhere. But he just wants to GTFO off the train while it's moving. Yeah, he, he just wants off the train. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so as we get to the, the third act, we find out that he's been hoarding all this crotal to make C4, like you said, to make a bomb, to bust this door open. And yeah, so we, we learn the truth of the train. We learn the, the truth of this biome, of this system, of this class system that's built upon the people in the back of the train. And Chris Evans' character is faced with the dilemma of, does he let this keep going mm-hmm. or does he put an end to it, even if it means See, basically killing everybody on the train? And this is something else I don't like because ultimately I don't buy into Ed Harris's philosophy that that we have to exist this way, like you have to have the like the large group of marginalized in the back, and everybody's in their place, and it's all going to be this biome for them. I'm like, eh, I mean, this they're just it was too extreme, it was too much, and I'm like. He, he was putting it all down to like kind of divine placement. Everybody has their place and it serves the betterment of the train. But it's just, it's just there was entire cars of people that were just high as a kite dancing in what were basically these clubs. And I'm like, what do they serve? They're not doing anything. They're waste. They're more waste than the people in the back who, you know, are, you know, stronger and hardier because they've lived through worse times. And so I just, I never bought that. Like, I get that it was, it was all the metaphors. Which I think just, is the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's kind of the point that the movie's making about people, about upper class people mm-hmm. and them not necessarily serving a purpose. They just have a station in life. Right. And it just, and, him, and the idea is, is that that's their place. And so they're just through some sort of I keep saying divine they don't really have a god except the train but through like the graciousness of the train that's where they must be 
and and it doesn't really matter because everything starts going tits up before too long. So before Chris Evans can really give it any good thought, uh, you know, there's a mob of people whose drugs that the security officer stole are coming for him and coming through that is, oh, we skipped one of your characters. They got it. We ignored the character that you like that gets pretty well ignored. There's a there's sort of a, a he's almost like a, a monster, but like just the way he's just won't die and is coming for them for like most of this movie to try and kill them. It starts pushing through the crowd and mm-hmm. it, it's really, yeah, we can, um, we, we can get to him more in the fix, but yeah, there's this like mm-hmm. sort of security officer character. I, again, they don't make it clear who this person is. I don't think or he ever really he talks on the train. He has maybe like two very basic giant minion lines, but he yeah. comes up. And so everything, they blow the door open, the train, falls off the tracks. I mean, I'm assumingly what is left of humanity, whatever thousands of people, 99% of them die when you see this train collapse off the tracks. So I'm like, all right, I guess there was no choice and there is no hope. I mean, some people may survive, but then this train isn't really going to sustain them anymore. And all that I think is really left is the daughter and one of the boys that was like in the engine room. We saw him early on. Yeah. So Octavia Spencer's son who Mm -hmm. got taken at the beginning of the movie and that was part of why Octavia Spencer was like all about getting to the front of the train. She wanted to find her son. Mm-hmm. Turns out her son was one of the kids shoved down in the guts of the train to pull oil out. Again, not clear what the kids are doing. They're doing something. They're making the really train go. Yeah, they make the train go. So him and the, the girl of the security officer get out. They hop out the train. There's a polar bear like a few mountains up, which is supposed to symbolize that the planet's habitable again. But all right. I could think of... That's a polar bear, and polar bears are kind of going to eat whatever they find. So, you know, if they don't get back in that train and get some supplies <laughs> and find some stuff. Right, that polar bear is probably hungry. Yeah. <laughs> and and so all I can think is, is is because that's it, end credit, There's, start <laughs> no, but, credits. But hold on, I think it's important to point out that they leave the train, right? This, this young, I mean, presumably like maybe 18-year-old girl, yeah. she might be around that age and this young boy who's probably what like eight yeah less than 10 less than 10 so the this these these two kids inherently suddenly leave the train and i verified this because the train's still smoking this train's still on fire so this can't be like it was a long time later Mm -hmm. but suddenly they leave the train with full like arctic seal fur coats well they stole the coats from the people in the clubs there were people with fur coats that she ripped them off of did we see this happen or are you just uh, like, yeah. no, saying I saw that's it. What happened? Uh, her dad was grabbing, like he was grabbing drugs and he was grabbing people's coat and she grabbed a coat and she was like using it to hold more of the, the chronal that, so before, before they mashed it together, I don't know where they got the boots. They had fur boots and I was like, all right, I guess you stole those too, but I did see him steal the coats. Okay. I'm glad you said that because all I could think of was like, did they have time to go by the store? Yeah. Right. Did they get, where did they get their cute new Chanel boots? Did they, did they happen to look for the poultry, the meat and poultry car, which never mind how that thing existed for 18 years. Did they happen to find, you know, the, the fruits and vegetables? Oh, I completely forgot. They went through the like meat rack car. So where, where are the, where are these cows? Where are these hogs? I don't know. I thought we were going to see like livestock at one point coming from. No, but it was it was definitely not people because it was very like in the shape of, you know, like you'd see at a butcher's now just hanging off the ceiling. And I was like, oh, man, that's going to be a lot of salt to preserve those things for 18 years. But yeah, it was they just they had no supplies. So they're going to die. And it's more than likely everybody else on this train 
is dead. When you watch this crash, it is spectacular. It falls not just off the tracks, but like off cliffs and rolls and there are explosions and it separates. And I mean, maybe a few people in each car got lucky, but then they're, then they're just left to exposure because even though it may not be freeze you in 30 minutes cold, it's still, you know, the Arctic. (laughs) You can't just like hang out outside. Yeah. This is one of those like fully dystopic films where, Mm -hmm. Not only do we start the movie with the world being already basically over and a handful of survivors, but by the end of the film, the handful of survivors are also dead. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's the end. That's the end of the movie. That's that. That's how this movie ends. And I think we've we've pretty adequately described the problems with this movie. Right. Because unfortunately, the problem is, is the way the movie progresses. So we had no choice but to reenact it, even though we promise not to do that in the beginning (laughs) yeah well Uh, i mean here we are all right so we've we've talked about the movie we've talked about the things we like which is a surprisingly lot of things right yeah um we've talked about the things that we did not care for slash didn't make sense to us Mm -hmm. so how are we gonna fix this man well so i'm i'm just gonna kind of start us off if that's okay and and you you chime in here when you, when you feel like you've got to see some momentum going, because I'm less worried about how the world froze. If, if we got just enough that said the world froze because humanity is a bunch of idiots, I'd believe that, you know, this day and age more than ever that, you know, that's fine. <laughs> right. That makes sense. I buy that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the, you know, that could be a lot. That was about 10 to 15 minutes was all uh, because I I watched it. It was about 10 to 15 15 minutes of recap of why the world's a giant iceberg. We don't need to worry about that. What I want to know is more about the train, why, why it's going around the world. Basically, that video we saw in the classroom, I kind of need that right up front. And right. And it's easy. It's an easy fix. It, It could We've seen this device in other movies before. We just need somebody in the back of the train telling a group of people about the train, a group mm-hmm. of kids or whatever. I mean, basically, we're going to get the same thing that we got in the, the school car. We're just going to get it in the back of the train and earlier in the movie. The only bit of info I want, and I don't want all of it, is some of what Chris Evans tells us at the end. Because I still want to reveal, because he, he, the whole point is he looks like a leader who won't accept leadership. You know, he's, he's basically the good guy. And then you find mm-hmm. out, no, in the beginning he wasn't. Because when it first happened and they were all being starving, people were starving, they were killing other people in the back of the train and eating them. And he was part of that in like really bad way. In fact, he has this great line that I marked where he says, I know that babies taste the best. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's a line in this movie that Chris Evans he, he just says, said. I hate that. I know that babies taste the best. Yeah. Oh my God. I was just like, okay, like save that bit that he was part of it, but just that there was a problem. And then the bar is interesting. Coming. If we saw the event that he describes and we didn't, we didn't know who was who. Yeah. Like maybe we're thinking for a good chunk of the movie that the the guy attacking the kid was actually the John Hurt character or was actually the Ed Harris character or, you know, I mean, like we aren't clear who is who, but we see this event happen that he later describes and reveals who the players were. Right. And it's not who you're led to believe. That would still be fun. But now we know. Like, so maybe we think that the kid was the was the Chris Heavens character and not mm-hmm. the Jamie Bell character. Right. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. It gives us reason to feel something for some of these characters. Exactly. And so, you know, then we can have some more. Then we we could even still, I don't know. I just at that point, we need a little bit more time with them in this this back of the train. Like, it's bad. It looks bad. But they also seem to be getting along in it pretty well. Weirdly, I was thinking about this earlier when you were talking. I feel like in some ways they're getting along better in the back of the train. I mean, obviously it's like squalor and it's Mm -hmm. dirty, but I feel like there's like a system to the back of the train. Whereas we get to the front, things just don't even make sense. Well, and that's, I think that was probably very deliberate in the movie too. That's part of their metaphor, which oh yeah, good which point. is good. I mean, the only struggle they really have is that the guards that come and bring them food and restrict them to this area are needlessly terribly cruel. Like they have no patience, they have no whatever. They they never explain anything. Like the amount of cruelty they they create is what leads the drive for rebellion. Yeah, early in the film, um, they come back to take a kid, and one of the one of the passengers in the back throws a shoe at one of the officers mm-hmm. and their reaction isn't y'all need to stop. We're not going to feed you this month or whatever. Their reaction is to drag the guy away, stick his arm out like a porthole in the train for seven and a half minutes so that the arm completely freezes through and they pull the guy's arm back through. And then with a mallet crack the, the frozen that arm was just off of so him. ridiculously elaborate. Like, the fact that the train had like a porthole that would make this possible in the first place, it's insane. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah, I make mean, any it, it's it's this it's this movie's like needless, like over the top, needless cruelty. Which, well, like I said, it's prioritizing the metaphor. It's prioritizing the message over the logistics, mm-hmm. and you've got to have better balance. Yeah. So they can still be ridiculously cruel and needlessly hurtful to these th- this group, but I also want the group in the back to be more than just breeders. They need to be contributing something to the rest of the train through their own effort. Uh, you know, it, again, it could be some sort of labor that keeps the train moving. It could just they need to be producing something more than just kids because it's just i don't know there were too many of them for it to really be justified and that's why they would they argued that's why all they, they let all these rebellions happen so they could thin them out over and over yeah, to, again to quell the 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 herd yeah so call the herd uh yeah that's right i was thinking quarter quell from <laughs> from the hunger Games. quell the uprising call the herd yeah yeah you're right so okay so but there we go we've got our we've got our reasons we've got our characters, we've kind of met everybody, we've got our motivations, they've taken the kid. Um, now rebellion starts, we move forward. I think we could have done with ironically less exposition in some places. One of the big things is that the the little protein bars they eat are made out of just eon- like gobs, cockroaches? gobs and gobs of cockroaches. It's a very shocking scene when they realize it. But I'm like... I, I thought wish- for sure it was going to be like a Soylent Green moment. Yeah. I thought that I thought the reason they were taking people away from the back of the train mm-hmm. was to was to grind them up and then feed them to the people in the back of the train. Right. I thought that's where that story was going. I think um, that would have been better. I mean, I will agree that cockroaches survive through anything. So, you know, an, an ice holocaust is something that, that it, you could still, I guess, collect them on the train somehow. I don't know how. But well, yeah, I, it was yeah. just weird. You're, you're just you're another thing that doesn't better. make a lot of sense. Where are all these cockroaches coming from? Well, and it's just the shock factor of it. Like we had so much shock factor and so much fighting that, but 
we didn't really know what was going on. So I think we're just we're good to kind of keep moving up to the first half of the train where we get to the big fight where they where it's they go through the tunnel and it's pitch black and all of the guards have night vision goggles and they have to realize that they've got to bring fire up from the back of the train to, you know, so that they can see and continue fighting. I love that having like two dozen pairs of night vision goggles was a priority when stocking this train. Yes. I don't understand. But, well, There's that, so much I don't understand. That's why I believe that the people in the back were, they always planned to have those people back there. I know you said that it was sort of like they were survivors last minute, but I think the ultimate plan was. No, it was said be in there. the beginning of the film that they are stowaways. That's like the origin of the people in the back of the train. I don't think it means tickets. like stowaway. Yes. I, but I think they didn't have, they weren't chosen. They were just lumped in at the last minute and they, they but they always knew they were going to lump in stowaways and create this class system think that was always Maybe. the plan they call Maybe. them stowaways so that they you know, it's, it's a way of marginalizing them this movie is exhausting <laughs> yeah i'm i've i honestly and truly i feel more exhausted talking about this movie than i felt i think about any movie that we've done on this podcast and it's because like i want to like it there's so much i want to like in this movie and i feel like the more we talk the longer we talk the more i'm just like this also makes no sense to me right this also is unclear to me and i'm just worn out we have to create the logistics that they left that they just left blank for the sake of metaphor and meaning but the problem is that the metaphor has no meaning to anybody with a discerning brain if it doesn't make sense right so agreed well as long as we're trying to fix some of the logistics uh, mm -hmm. a big one that i have is i think <laughs> this sounds almost stupid at this point but like i think the train should have been a double decker <laughs> oh i did too Yes. Because at least you could have like an upper transportation hub to the train, like transportation and sleeping that like to get around on the train so that the lower cars could be these like theme cars. You know, we can have and it would also if there was a double decker um, aquarium train that would make a little bit more sense maybe there's more space there i can't i, I um, honestly it's exactly what i thought we're on the pa same page 100 percent there that's crazy i mean if you're gonna have a movie about an end of the world train that, that was takes built a year for the end of the around, world yeah. that was built for the end then make it like a beast make it a gigantic train that has you know that, that's, that's the titanic of trains I mean, yes. that's inherently what a lot of this movie is. It's it's Titanic at the end of the world on a train. Exactly. And if we'd had the train be larger so that certain things like, again, it still boggles me that theoretically this this group of, what, 30 school children have to walk through like a weird sex club and a sauna mm -hmm. and a hot tub room to get to school makes it's just complete ludicrous to me. Oh my god, you've, you just wrote the new plug. It's Hunger Games meets Titanic on an ice train. That's that's the new plug for this film. Yeah. No, you're totally right. It That's exactly this movie. So I think the double-decker, just the large... I mean, even if they somehow did like a stupid double-wide train, like you know what I mean? Like, just do something. Do something big and epic and ridiculous because it's a big and epic and ridiculous thing. So make the train big and epic and ridiculous. Also... The movie needs better villains early on. Like we get Tilda Swinton, who's kind of this sad, pathetic villain, but yeah. she's but she's great. She's excellent. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't change a damn thing about the Tilda Swinton character. No, she drinks she the Kool-Aid. 
Yeah, she is perfect as is. Her performance is great. The writing of that character is great. Everything about it. She represents every middle class person that supports the upper class because they think every they middle, benefit them. Yeah, because they think that they're a part of that and they're not. Mm-hmm. That, that You're 100% right. That is the purpose she serves in this movie. And she's great. What I would like to see expanded upon are these two characters that we we meet early. There's like a guy in a gray suit and a guy in like a dark gray, black-ish suit. And they're like weirdly hugging on each other at one point. And there's some sort of like they're like security guards. Yeah, yeah they're like it's big, weird because there's dudes. people in like uniforms. And there are these two dudes that are very clearly not uniformed like officers, but they're clearly in charge of something. And they're enforcers and they're, they're they look like they're the head of security, like the biggest muscle of security is what I took yeah, from Yeah, but there. we never get names for them, which, you know, that's fine. We never get names. We never get anything about them. The one character, like with the darker suit, gets killed in the altercation with the Jamie Bell character where Chris Evans has to decide between saving Jamie Bell's character or capturing Tilda Swinton's character. And when the dude gets killed in that altercation, the other guy who I don't know if they're supposed to be like end of the world boyfriends, if they're supposed to be like two brothers that are weirdly close to each other. Like, I don't know what their deal is because they never tell us or show us anything. But he then, for the rest of the movie, is kind of like on a vengeance kick for for his and he boyfriend, just brother, die. lover, whoever being killed. And yeah. he keeps getting like killed, but then he's not dead because miraculously he's not dead. Yeah. The thing is, like, obviously this character is somewhat interesting because we're here talking about him right now. Definitely. But but he's interesting enough that we're like upset that we didn't get more of this character. I mean, we've talked about this on this podcast many times before. Sometimes a movie is only as good as its villain. And for a good chunk of this movie, we just don't have a good villain. We haven't met the the mastermind of the train yet. We we've we've kind of nerfed the Tilda Swinton character early. Mm-hmm. We realize she's not nearly as important as we think she is. So there's a whole middle of this movie Exactly. We we've we've nerfed the villain becomes the aristocracy uh, for like a good chunk of this movie in a blanket sense and that's just not enough so we have this guy coming up the back of the train chasing them if we'd have known more like if his anger would have been that you you killed you know my friend or my lover or whoever but he's like a lot more because he starts like fucking up anybody in the train that gets in their way if if he kind of drives that point home because he's not about going back and pushing back the resistance in the back they have a they have uh if anybody watches gotham the actor that plays zaz the like fully bald no eyebrows character is in this and he sort of like shows up almost like a benevolent person giving out like hard-boiled eggs to people because it's like the year one it's the anniversary of the also just where the hell did all those eggs come from i have so many questions oh yeah right And, and instead him and the other people there actually end up just pulling out guns and shooting a lot of people in the back of the train as chris evans moves forward because they're culling the herd that's literally their point but then we never really worry about him again he's just done that and or he will do it he'll, he'll does it about the point where chris evans gets to the front but they they get a some of the shooting done early on it's sort of confusing the pacing of it but chris evans is just moving forward so if we had this other villain that we actually that that is actually following them he, he's almost entitled like he doesn't care about the class system anymore he doesn't care about if what he did was wrong and they were just rebelling he just cares that he lost someone he loved and that's all that mattered like it is what's happening but i am writing so much of that for him like i am oh for I am, sure i am speaking his intent while he just looked at first you could have almost argued 
because we got so little of him and his buddy that he's really just being like the devout muscle. Like he's just going to stop the people moving to the front because how dare they move to the front. And then I remembered when I saw him focusing on the girl, it's like, oh, no, he's mad at her for killing that guy. And I I, yep. I I completely forgot. So we we got to pump that up. And that's what you're saying here. Pump that up. Show who they are. Show their relationship. Let them be villains. Let them be villains that like each other. Let them be terrible. And when one of the terrible villains gets killed, the other one gets even more just like elitist and entitled to go seek revenge. And that's mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Just crank that to 11 because they have this fight where the train goes around a bend and they're shooting through the windows at each other and it's the dumbest fight ever. Like, no, we need better than that. We need so much, so much more encounter with him that's so much personal and not this sort of contrived because the glass is bulletproof. So they've got to shoot through the bulletproof glass, then shoot through the bulletproof glass on the other side and try and hit each other. And You know what that scene reminded me of? It reminded me of that scene in Wanted where they're trying to bend the bullets. Oh God, I've never watched that. Remember that but... movie? Oh, with Angelina Jolie and James McAvoy. Yeah. There's this whole scene where they're talking about bending bullets, which I mean, I, I, let's not even, maybe we should do wanted on this show at some point. Yeah. Gung but this, this scene is so thing, right? stupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what this scene reminded me of is they're trying to shoot at each other because the train's going around this like curve, right? It's mm-hmm. like kind of turning around almost so that it's the only time that the train cars can kind of face each other. Um, from afar and like like you said they're shooting at each other through these windows from like hundreds of yards away while the train is going you know 100 miles an hour and it's just completely ludicrous yeah and never mind that the bulletproof glass and the guns that they were firing would never have allowed for this it again it, it, it was just another example of logistics don't matter this looks neat and intimidating but it falls apart i can you can make a good intimidating fight with him and especially if you've got double deckers and people are moving from place to place and you don't know if they'll come in front of you or behind you. Like it, yeah. could, it could have been better. It should, it needs so, to be better. Yeah, I agree. So I think the, for me, the last piece of the puzzle. So, so far we've got the train itself needs to make more sense. Like the, the, the train, the orientation of the train, the layout of the train, like what cars are, which, where people sleep, where people live, like the train needs to make more sense. Mm-hmm. The second thing is we need a better villain for the second act of this movie. We need a villain, really. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. It, the villain is the aristocracy, but we need a face to that. And I think we've got the character already. We just need more. Like you said, he needs to be pumped up more. More personality. I think the third piece of this fix for me is the plan at the end of the movie needs to make more sense. I actually like the reveal of the movie, the what's been happening with the train. Like, I don't mind any of that really if if things that kind of support it make more sense the thing that falls apart at the very end of this movie is as you mentioned earlier she they they crash the train she gets off the train with the kid they see a polar bear and we go to credits yeah i would like there to be something more satisfying more sensical that that there's been a plan all along the plan is We've been kept on this train because we support the aristocracy, but the truth is there already is an outside world of survivors and we're trying to get to them or, you know what I mean? Or something, or there's an escape pod on this train. <laughs> that's, you know, I, I don't care. There just needs to be something that makes more sense. Can I take a stab at plan. this? Please do. All right. So here's my stab at this. Um, first off, Ed Harris, once we meet him, continues to have the back of the train cold. 
which I think is a bit redundant. They already sent, like, the whole idea was this rebellion was supposed to do that. They got all the people that came in the front. They got behind everybody, shot a bunch more people. Let's consider the back of the train cold. Because, it, it like, the violence just gets to the point where you don't even know who is alive at the back of the train anymore in the end. It was, it was ridiculous. Well, they're even discussing numbers. He's like, how right. many people are left? Like, okay, kill 13 more. Or whatever. It was a percentage because they were they always yeah. had the little clickers to keep trout. But let's let's assume everybody's been cold and let's more like this. He's offering Chris Evans the chance to just run things now because he's like, I'm old. And I think what I would like to hear is like Chris Evans try and de- try and show this idea of defying his so-called biome and just sharing the wealth, like you say, and it falls apart on him very, very quickly because you've got, you know, all the junkies and druggies up front that are already in a tizzy or you've got all the people in the back that are like desperate. And it's just, we just see chaos just to show that like, this doesn't, this will not be clean. This will not be pretty. And before it it can ever get, we can quiet things down and settle people out. Dude blows the door and the train goes, because I honestly, I don't mind the sort of, dystopian idea that it just doesn't work and humanity was just a stall on this train like they were going to die the over the point was and that should have been more of ed harris's point that this was a stall that it it kind of was but eventually we die out eventually it happens especially because you know we keep just because of our very nature we either live in one biome where there's this ridiculous class system that involves the bottom half coming up and killing everybody or we just try to leave it open and share for all and people being people will then basically scavenge for themselves act selfishly and the whole thing will disintegrate for everyone and that's that's sort of the tone of this movie and i know that's really depressing and i don't mean to be that way but it that was what this movie was kind of setting up to say in the beginning and i feel like it would be wrong to change the message and the and the tone of the movie if it still works as a story oh i totally agree and that's sort of it sort of was what left me really depressed at the end of anyway it's like oh everybody's dead even though you see the two survivors crawl on the train i'm like nope they're dead they're very dead I mean, if you wanted to try and attempt a happy ending, you could see a few survivors on the train having, like, cobbled together resources from the different train cars and start to try and build a society out of it. But I don't know. That's that's wishful thinking. And yeah, but no, you're, that that's it, though. That's that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, if you're going to end the movie on like a hopeful note, then make it a hopeful, sensical note. Mm-hmm. Make it make it something that makes more sense than just two people walking away from the train cr- train crash to to what get eaten by the polar bear like it makes no sense at all but i i'm with you like if you're gonna go full dystopic then then maybe even go so far as to make the movie the theme that it didn't it didn't none of it mattered in the end Mm -hmm. all that mattered in the end was how we treat each other because if 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 it's inevitable that they're just the the last survivors until it's over then all that matters is how we treat each other Exactly. Not how we take advantage of each other. Yeah. And we never exactly. And we never really kind of drove that home instead, because, again, before anything can really be said or done, they blow the train off the tracks. And so, like, Chris Evans just has enough time to kind of feel crappy about everything and how orchestrated it was and how manipulated he was by his mentor who initially oversaw and conspired with this whole process. I still think that's good. I still think that's a great way to, like, 
you know, like that, that was all, it was all kind of obvious, but it was like a good reveal. So I, th- I think that's it. It just clarity, like you said, logistics. I mean, there's just everything else was, was already in the movie. It just, yeah. mm, man, it frustrates me. Yeah, it does. I want to like this one. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to give the show. Cause I, I, I do want to say one final thing about this fix is that I think like so many things we've talked about on the show, sometimes more time could fix something. Like if we could spend more time with these characters at the beginning, learning about their plight and planning this revolution and executing the revolution that it could have been more enjoyable. So it makes me wonder if this, this new TV series version on TNT might address some of these issues and these timing things and these logistic things that this movie just never got around to doing. So we'll have to check out the TNT series and see if it's, if it's worth watching. Cool. Definitely. Is that your smart home weighing in? <laughs> Alexa just started talking to me. <laughs> oh, we'll Alexa. see if we cut this or not. Does, does Alexa have opinions on Snowpiercer? I, I need to hear them. I will have to ask Alexa what she thinks about Snowpiercer. Uh, all right, Tone. Well, I think we've fixed Snowpiercer about as best we can. Uh, before we kind of sign off for the week, do you want to? Do we want to mention anything that we're watching right now? We want to recommend to our listeners. Oh God, so much in this time of binge worthiness. Uh, but I did just start something last night, so I'll go with what's fresh. There's a Netflix anime called Beast Stars. It's basically Zootopia anime, uh, not for children. Don't watch this with your kids. I've only watched the first like three episodes, but it's it's kind of got me hooked. Uh, beautiful animation. It's basically anthropomorphic animals living in a, I think it's a high school. And just, you know, you've got like your carnivores and your herbivores and they're all trying to live together. And, you know, the the main carnivore is a wolf struggling with his like like kind of carnal urges, if you will, and repressing them and feeling very feeling He's very shy and feels very terrible. It's just all of these things that are kind of synonymous to your just angst feelings as a teenager and all of that confusion being shown through different animals and how they work together and function together even though they're so different. Talk about focusing on the logistics. It even acknowledges that you have things like rodents who, you know, typically have to walk along the edges of uh, rooms so they don't accidentally get stepped on because that's an issue that could happen. And, you know, people not wanting to do that. But it's uh, if it wasn't just so well animated and it didn't just kind of like the last three episodes just gripped me where I'm like, well, I got to see what happens next. And it's, it's very adult. It's kind of violent and a little sexually graphic too. So if you're worried about becoming a furry or that exciting something in you, I maybe would suggest avoiding this or embracing it and just owning it. I should probably stay away from it. Cause I remember when I saw Zootopia the first time we got to the credits with the glitter tigers dancing and I was like, am, am I? No, <laughs> this, no. Did you go, no. this better not awaken something in me. <laughs> That's exactly what I said to myself this better not awaken something in me <laughs> no this would I, I would almost want you to watch it though the uh, the intro is stop motion animated and it's gorgeous and you're just like what <laughs> like in this this show of really well-drawn animation it was crazy to see a stop motion animated intro maybe I'll just have to watch the intro and hope it doesn't awaken something in me. <laughs> good luck um 
All right, so my recommendation this week, I just finished up season two of a show called Atypical on Netflix. Oh, I love Atypical. Uh, Oh, you've watched it? Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan. Keep going. Oh, man. So I had I had I had I vaguely remembered hearing about it when it first came out because the the main star was also in United States of Terra on Showtime, which is another excellent show. Um, Oddly enough, dealing with uh, uh, neuro health issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, we we picked it up kind of on a whim, my roommates and I, and we just finished season two. And man, that show is just so good. I was trying to like pitch it to my mom earlier and I'm like, I don't know how to describe this show other than it's just, it's a family, like a mother and a father and a daughter and a son and the son is on the spectrum. Yeah. He's the focus and we kind of hear things from his perspective. He's, 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 he, he does have autism, but it's, it's definitely more manageable and they own that. Like, so he's trying to figure out how to function in, you know, high school life and things like that. And, and he wants to be more independent without getting overwhelmed. But it follows the whole family and just how what he's dealing with, they all deal with and they, how it affects all of them. And uh, yeah, but it's just so well written and good characters. So you, you just get invested in everybody's stories. Uh, Michael, exactly. Michael Rappaport's in it too, and I love him. He he's always been kind of like a a B actor or like a supporting actor, but he's always been good too. So I, I'm well. And Jennifer Jason Lee is in it, who another one that like hasn't really been in a lot of big things in a while, uh, and it's just the two of them together have such good chemistry. Like I don't know, the show's so good. Mm-hmm. I told one of my roommates when we first moved in together that you know my my style, like my type of television show or movie is if, if it doesn't have dinosaurs or take place in space then I'm just genuinely not interested. And we keep finding these shows and he's like, so why are you watching this? And I'm like, okay, well I guess there's a third element. Like I really like well-written characters. Yeah. Like if you haven't put that together on this podcast, good, good writing. I don't care what genre it is. There is, can I recommend some other ones for you then? Just that Netflix came out with around the time they came out with this one. There's Sex Education. Sure. Which I'm on is, season two. Yep. I like that one excellent, a lot. Excellent. Sex Education. It's set in England, but it's about this kid whose mom's a sex therapist and he's in high school and he ends up giving somebody advice and everybody starts coming him to, to advice because sex is so taboo to high schoolers because you don't talk about it. It's not right. And his mom obviously is very open to the point where he's uncomfortable with her, but it's, it's like one of those things like, geez, I wish we did talk about these things back then. I'd be a lot less weird now. Uh, yeah. The other one you may not like as much, but it's because it's a little different. It's called end of the fucking world. It's basically about two teenagers that run away from home. The girl decides she's going to be in love with the guy, the boy, and the boy decides he wants to be a serial killer. And this is probably going to be the first person he kills. Okay, <laughs> right. That's, that's quite a pitch. Yeah. So you, <laughs> okay, you you but you get like you know like the, like they're in their head thoughts a lot and just how they kind of contrast in the beginning and then how they kind of start coming together as this adventure they go on is it's it's a little fucked up but it's it's interesting. Fascinating. All right. Well, I think we've given our listeners plenty to think about in this episode. Uh, <laughs> let's let's go ahead and 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 sign out here. Uh, Tony, you have any idea what we're going to do on our next episode? Uh, well, you just said wanted. I'm not opposed to that, but let's. Uh, we're posting on Facebook ahead of time uh, that we're what we're going to do, so people can watch ahead, right? Yep. So if you guys want to 
Uh, throw in your ideas. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash moviefixers. You can also email us at Matt and Tony moviefixers at gmail.com. That's Matt with two T's and Tony moviefixers at gmail.com. Uh, that's it for this week. Thank you all for listening. We will see you again soon on yet another episode of Movie Fixers. Bye.